Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey, welcome to the show. I have Jennifer Moore here today. She is a former hot mess and world-class awfulizer, now thriving mentor, spiritual guide, author and EFT trainer for empaths, creatives, and light workers. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Tina. It is so good to be here. And so it looks like Jennifer, she has quite a repertoire of trainings and experience, and you are the empath expert, correct? Um, I would say I am one of the, one of the experts on empaths. Absolutely. And I've Mm -hmm. been personally dealing with it since I was born and, you know, learning how to navigate being highly sensitive. It, it, you know, you kind of, you kind of earn like a doctorate in in life experience. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of forces you because if you don't manage it or deal with it, you're going to get overwhelmed. You get real, you start absorbing a lot of stuff that's not yours to absorb or take on. So it's it's really imperative that empaths become conscious. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in that, the way, you know, the way that my book, Empathic Mastery, I talk about the five steps that I think are necessary to really develop empathic mastery. And the first step is recognize, you know, and the thing is, I think so many people start with the idea of like putting bubbles of light up around us and sort of, you know, like fluffing up the light, sending love and light, you know, just think nice, happy thoughts and it'll be all good. But I think that for empaths, the important thing is first, just even recognizing that we've taken on water, that we've, we are feeling other people's feelings and that, um, you know, this isn't just ours and being able to then, you know, so the first step in recognize is even just recognizing, oh, I'm feeling something that's not mine. And then the second part of recognize is what's mine, what's not mine in order to go to the next step, which I believe, you know, in, in empathic mastery is release. Because if we keep carrying around all of the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations, pain, suffering that we've absorbed from the world around us, or even for some of us on a global level, just taking it on, then the problem is no amount of filters and shields and positive thinking is going to work because we're, we're sort of, we're corroding from the inside out. And as long as we're carrying all that negativity internally, it's, it's like, we can't get a we can't get a break sort of that idea of in order to heal from something you first have to be removed from it you know like you can't heal a burn if you're still in the fire (laughs) exactly so um i wanted to ask you why the world is heading toward an empathic epidemic so i so, I mean, obviously the opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gives them, take what you like and leave the rest. This mm-hmm. is my experience from over 30 years of working with other people and on myself as a highly sensitive, empathic person. What I believe is happening right now is that the illusion of separation and the illusion that we are individuals is being ripped away from us as a species. And we are having all of these experiences that are in, you know, there's so much increased suffering. There's so much increased struggle. There are so many things that are going on on the planet right now that are ripping away the veil of illusion that has us thinking we're individuals. My personal approach and perspective is that we are, the earth is our body and that we are cells in the body of this planet. The planet is the living organism and we are part of something so much greater than ourselves. 
And somewhere in the last, you know, well, probably thousand plus years, but especially since the onset of the Industrial Revolution, as a species, we've gotten into these ideas of the ego and of ourselves as separate from and as individuals. And I think that what's happened is that that's allowed a lot of people to very to compartmentalize in a lot of ways and to really not necessarily feel what's going on in the world around them or, or pick up on that sense the sensitivity of of just all that is. But with COVID, with global warming, with all of the wildfires, with all of the things that are happening right now, I think it's eroding that ability to deny our interconnection. And as a result, more and more people are awakening to sensing and feeling more than themselves and the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations, pain, et cetera, et cetera, that is going on in the world around them is what they're picking up now, as opposed to just kind of staying in their own isolated bubble. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying that we're now picking up on the collective emotions, energy around the world. I believe that there are a lot of us who are starting to pick up on and who, and many of the people who are, who've been highly sensitive and empathic for a really long time, where maybe it used to be that if their boss was having a hard day, they'd pick up on that. And now it's sort of like they can feel the COVID surges coming through. They can feel the impact of the forest of the wildfires that are burning the West Coast. They can feel the impact of what's happening in Afghanistan and Haiti and all kinds of other places. And I think that the thing is that energetically, emotionally, as a species right now, things are really heating up. It just, it's just true. There's a lot of stuff going on and it's really ramped up our emotional, the emotions that all of us or many of us are feeling. And as a result, what we used to be able to maybe put our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you. Now the, the, the quality or the intensity of what's going on around us has gotten so much larger and so much louder and so much more intense that we are not able to drown it out as easily. And as a result, we are feeling a lot more of the whole collective as opposed to maybe, like I said, maybe, you know, your boss is having a hard day and you picked up on it. Yeah. So how do we cope with that? Because the intensity of everything is ramped up. I mean, just the other day I posted on social media that it feels like a boiling pot of water that's about to overboil, it's about to spill over. Overflow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like you got way too much spaghetti in there. <laughs> you know, the water is way too high. Uh, you know, it's funny. I just saw a meme the other day and, and uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's like every so often you're like, why am I even seeing this? And then you realize why. But I saw a meme the other day that was talking about sort of an old wives tale or, or old folk remedy for boiling over pots, which is you put a wooden spoon over the top of the pot and apparently the wooden spoon stops the water from boiling over. And I think in a lot of ways, what that, but, but the thing is the first step to stopping the boiling over is recognizing that things can boil over, mm -hmm. you know? And it's sort of like, we as we as a species have a tendency to kind of like, uh, I think like put our head in the sand or put our fingers in our ears and just kind of like be like, if I just ignore it, it's gonna be fine. And I think that right now we're in a time where we can't just ignore it and assume it's going to be fine. We need to put the spoon over the top of the pot and prepare for the fact that things are getting to the point where they can boil over. And so from my experience, first off, what I will say is that what I believe is that the universe sort of, if you, if you look at things from sort of a quantum level I think many people at this point will agree that everything is energy and everything is comprised of energy and that form in some ways is just sort of the density of energy, but it's all energy. And ultimately it's all about frequency and vibration. And so when it comes to the world around us, what I have come to see is that we are either vibrating a frequency that contributes to the ease and well-being of the planet or we are vibrating a frequency that contributes to the hot mess that we are in right now. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I what I have found is that there's this paradox of we as empaths react to other people's nervous systems being jacked when when we're around people who are triggered, when we're around people who are hijacked, when we're around people who are really processing a lot of intensity, when we are not mindful of it, we will automatically, and especially if we, we have very compromised filters and shields, we will pick up all of that energy and that intensity and that frenzy ourselves. And if we don't know how to manage that and soothe our nervous system, then what we do is we just become like a feedback loop where we're reinforcing that for the other person. So what I have, I, I have found is that what we can do is learn how to calm our own nervous system down and allow ourselves to become an anchor for a higher, for a different vibration, usually, and, and it's generally sort of a higher frequency, but where we, instead of radiating or reflecting back that distress, what we are doing is that we are becoming, we're sinking into calmness, we're sinking into grace, we're sinking into being grounded. And then from that, we can um, seed that possibility for other people. For example, the other day I was um, in a prayer group with, with a bunch of people that I really love. And there was one of one of the members was having a particularly difficult evening and had been experiencing a panic attack for a couple days. And so I had just sort of privately in the back channel reached out and said, hey, can I just, you know, do you mind if I send you a little bit of support? And they being really overstimulated and very empathic themselves were like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, all I'm going to do is just basically act sort of as your surrogate and soothe and calm my own nervous system down so that your and and so that your nervous system can entrain with that so obviously i'm sort of talking i kind of put the cart before the horse here in that i'm talking about the solution but i'm still haven't really necessarily talked about the how like okay so how the hell do you calm down a nervous system when when you're getting triggered and when you're getting jacked and what I have personally found is that, I mean, everybody's mileage may vary, and some of it is really finding what tools really work for you. But what I have personally discovered is that talking alone just really, really, really doesn't cut it. And even just sort of doing a bunch of deep breathing doesn't necessarily cut it. But that when I start using techniques, usually using techniques like tapping EFT, emotional freedom freedom techniques, and working with sort of more somatic things about calming our energy body down, then what I can do is I can take my own system out of red alert and reboot the amygdala, which is that fight or flight mechanism in our brain, so that we are no longer in a state of triggered reaction, but instead we're in a state of sort of um, broadcasting ease and grace. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that if you calm yourself down, you will be a source of calm for people around you. Absolutely. I mean, think about if you think about first responders and you think about people who are working in, you know, emergent situations, the best helpers are the ones who keep their head about them. The Mm -hmm. best helpers are the ones who can remain calm and grounded. And the thing is that I think we live in a false, in a society that has some false equations about this. Like there is a meme that you've probably seen too, which says, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And, you know, and, and I actually believe that it is possible to recognize the peril, to acknowledge the stress, to acknowledge the things that are not working and to deliberately choose not to emotionally react and engage. And there's a very big difference between sort of lightwashing and ignoring and recognizing the dire nature of a situation and, ca- and staying grounded and calm. You know, I mean, thinking about sort of like the old Kung Fu movies and the idea of martial arts, for example, the best martial artists are the ones who are not reacting emotionally they are 
very, very grounded. They are very, very focused. And they are in that Zen space where they get to use leverage and they get to work with energy and let it flow in a way that often will just keep them out of harm's way. And many times if they have to go into combat is going to be sort of the least amount of effort and the least, like the least amount of harm. And I think that as empaths, we really want to learn how to calm our own energy system down because when we're in that calm space, we can be part of the solution as opposed to just amplifying the problem. Now, another example would be a midwife or a doula. You know, you don't want the midwife freaking out or, you, you know, like being, or even like being overly sympathetic for the labor pains. You know, it doesn't help when somebody is emotionally engaging with pain if it's not their own. Right. It's like being aware of the stress or the pain, but holding the space, you know, to be calm. So empaths holding space for the collective or for the planet. Yes. Yeah. Holding space and acknowledging it. Like, you know, one of the things that I generally will start with anytime I'm, I'm acknowledging that somebody's going through a hard time is I'll just acknowledge it. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I can't even imagine how difficult that would be. Just acknowledging like, wow, that really sounds hard is often sort of just the first step of just, yep, it sucks. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. And how can I be, of, you know, and if I know I can support somebody or I can be of help, then, you know, can I offer you support? Is it, you know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. But I think that there, you know, that first place of just acknowledgement and absolutely learning how to hold space, which kind of leads me to sort of the next point of, uh, that, that I think is really important, which is we have to have done our own personal work on the things that have us, that get us triggered and stressed yeah. if we are going to hold space for other people. Because if we've got wounds, emotional wounds that we're carrying around that have been like, and, and that are still driving our bus, if there's like a inner five-year-old or an inner six-year-old who comes out and, and starts making all the decisions, anytime something resembles the abandon, abandonment we experienced or the bullying that we experienced or, you know, the painful, tragic experience, event that happened in our life, as long as those things are still resonating and kind of the wounds are getting opened up and the scabs getting ripped off every single time we experience, we have, we, we come into contact with something like that, we cannot hold space effectively because we're trying to run away from our own space. So my experience personally, and what I found working with a lot of other empaths is that one of the first keys to being able to be, be present with things is to actually learn how to sit with our own discomfort and learn that we're not going to die just because we feel uncomfortable. And that's the other thing I think in our society about emotions is that we have a very weird relationship with emotions in, the, in, in this country, at least, and I'm sort of imagining in the Western world, world in general, which is that on one hand, we suppress them, we deny them, we pretend they aren't happening. So many empaths, for example, are part of family systems where they pick up on things that nobody else wants to admit. Mm -hmm. And so what I found is that I can't even tell you the number of empaths who I work with, whose childhood's experience experiences were they were constantly being told you're taking it too personally you're overreacting you're taking out of it that's not really happening you're just being crazy when the truth is they were picking up stuff that was going on underneath like i'm not going to feel the feelings la 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 you know you can't hear me i can't hear me you know i'm just gonna yeah. like pretend this isn't happening i mean we have a epidemic of you know, of sugar addiction, of alcohol addiction, of, you know, of anti-anxiety medication addiction. We have all kinds of ways that as a species or as a, as a, as a society, we try to deal, uh, deny difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, I think we give 
way to like we have a disproportionate way of reacting to emotions where it's sort of like when somebody's having a feeling it's it's sort of like stop the world i have to get off i'm having an emotion and i think that we like when an emotion is strong we uh, we tend to look at it as something that has the capacity to bowl us over or hijack us when the truth is it's a feeling and it's one of many different parts of ourselves, but it's not necessarily the only thing. And so it's kind of that paradox of on one hand, we don't want to deal with feelings. And on the other hand, whenever a feeling arises, our attitude tends to be like, oh my God, it's a feeling. Stop everything. We're having an emotion. <laughs> well, I want to bring up social media because I spend a lot of time at home. Mm -hmm. I'm avoiding going outside, you know, and right there with you, sister. <laughs> I have my own business and everything's remote right now. I'm not seeing anybody one-on-one -on -one, and everything seems okay from here. But then I get on social media and I see horrendous things being said and a lot of blame and judgment and shame and I just feel like social media is being used to spread negativity and fear right now. It just seems to be out of control. Well, and I think social media is a mirror of our world and that social media is reflecting the distress that we have going on globally. And the fact that we have a lot of people who haven't done their own personal work in terms of their... <laughs> their emotions, their, their triggers, their trauma, their inherited family trauma, their karmic trauma. And what's happening is we are now about 18 months into a global pandemic with device, with, with an unprecedented level of divisiveness, of disagreement, of confusion, of misinformation. And no matter how, where somebody falls on the spectrum with this, there's a lot of intense emotions, you know, it's like, there's the same quality of indignation and outrage and anger and confusion and frustration and feelings of betrayal. Whether you are talking about people who are like, what is your problem? Why aren't you social distancing and wearing a mask? And why aren't you just going and getting a vaccine, you idiot? versus the other side, which is don't you be taking away my freedoms, which my, I have a friend and I who joke about it being F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. But anyway, <laughs> you know, that, that there's, that there's like, you've got people on both sides who are feeling betrayed, who are feeling frustrated, who are feeling angry. And we have had at this point in time, you know, in the United States alone, we're starting to, we're, we're inching up at, as of the recording of this up to over 650,000 dead people from this pandemic. And, and my dad is actually one of those people. So I, I can tell you, if you've not met, if somebody's listening and they haven't met anybody, you now know somebody who has lost somebody to COVID. But what I was going to say is that that is traumatizing. That is a se severe, extreme traumatic event. And as a species, like the entire planet is going through this traumatic event. And trauma takes us out of our capacity to be resilient. It takes us out of our capacity to be reasonable. It mm -hmm. takes us out of our capacity to think clearly. And it puts us into a state of reactivity. And it puts us into a state of either fight or flight. And then if we really max out, freeze. And the thing is, you've got the people who are in, who are natural, and people tend to be naturally wired towards either being a fighter or a fleer, you know, and some of us just a freezer, but, but it, it's not predictable. Like I have one friend who is, she is just absolutely like her go-to for any kind of conflict or, or difficult distress, distressing situation is she is a fighter. She goes in with her dukes up. She goes in ready. She's like let me at him, you know, kind of like the cowardly lion in that, in that kind of like <laughs> kind of thing where, where she just goes in and it's really funny because she goes in half, you know, she often goes in kind of like 
like blindsided and kind of like with blinders on because she gets this tunnel vision and she doesn't ask questions. She just assumes or jumps into like, before, you know, because her nature is to automatically get antagonistic about something as opposed to my tendency is more in the freeze in in kind of the flea freeze place where if something's really intense is going on unless it happens to be my siblings you know <laughs> where as a kid of course you know I'd, I'd punch back but but um in general my approach is more that I tend to kind of like take a beat like pause and watch and wait and kind of get like okay what is really going on and then sort of approach it but the thing is right now with social media in particular, if you look at the global event that is going on and the fact that we are 18 months into one of the largest traumas that we have ever experienced as a species, and we're talking multiple traumas going on simultaneously, we've got you know, climate change issues that are affecting people all over the planet. We've got, like I said, the wildfires on the West Coast. We've got a couple different um, political unrest situations. We've, of course, got the entire Black Lives Matters and racism just like, like, like it's like it, it is, you know, it's kind of like a, 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 an abscess that has come to the surface and is bursting right now. You know, I could just go on and on with all of the things that are going on simultaneously that are getting people that are really, that are, that are amplifying the stress that people are already feeling and 18 months into a traumatic event that we don't necessarily have answers for this is a long answer to your question but 18 months into a traumatic these traumatic events a lot of people are not capable of being deliberate about what they're doing with social media and social media is reflecting the distress that i think is going on on the planet so what I would like to say about that is that we really need to be mindful of what we expose ourselves to right now, that, mm -hmm. that there is a way in which I think we really want to be curating our experience and our exposure. I'm not saying just ignore everything that's going on and pretend that everything's fine. But what I am saying is if you know that you have a friend or a family member who has a tendency to just like like go off with their hair on fire all the time and is very opinionated and is very obnoxious, then it may be time to snooze them for a while, like just not see it because they're not speaking from a place of rational thought. They're not responding from a resilient resourced place. They're responding from a place of incredible distress. Right. And what my pet peeve is and one of my biggest boundaries is if we disagree don't come after me. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't text me over and over again paragraphs when I said that I no longer interested in talking about this. We disagree. And it's like that pit bull. They just can't stop. Like, this is reasonable and you're even going to change my mind this way. And this is going to ruin our friendship. Like, that's what happened to me recently. I just had to cut somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, told, I told her, you know, you, you are sending me articles and, and I've told you to stop and I don't do this to you. I'm not sending you articles and stuff that I agree on without your permission, but she just wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, we have some polarizing going on where we as a, we are really getting to set some boundaries right now. Which actually, I personally believe that this entire thing is about boundaries, that I see COVID as being the ultimate boundary center and as the ultimate sort of course correction, in that we have been out of balance as a species for quite a while. It's not like COVID is just some kind of random thing that happened. It had, there's a, you know, there are so many, there's been so many, you know, chain of a, such a long chain of events that led us to where we are today. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that as a, as, as a whole planet, we're incredibly out of balance and we're incredibly disconnected from the, from the earth. And as a result, viruses have a tendency or have an opportunity to mutate and to grow and to do crazy things. 
But what I have found is that it that is that everybody I'm talking to that just in some way or another this this period of time has been about what are my boundaries what are my terms what will i tolerate what will i not tolerate and about really drawing the line and what i think is that this is a lesson we need to internalize because as long as we let the world or the universe set boundaries for us externally we don't get to control what happens and what I believe is that we can set limits and set boundaries in conscious, deliberate ways, or the universe will set them for us. I personally have had the experience of getting sick by, you know, when I'm overdoing it and overextending myself or losing my keys or locking myself out of my car or running out of gas or any number of things that basically kind of like put the emergency brake on. And I think that right now, we absolutely need to take the reins into our own hands and really be deliberate about what our boundaries and our limits are so that we're not in this situation where we're constantly having kind of the universe externalize the boundaries for us. And, and so, what, I, what I can I, bring it down to is that people are afraid but they are not admitting they're afraid. They're talking about all sorts of other things or they're projecting that fear onto other people. Yes. And yes. you need to admit you're afraid and you need to deal with that fear constructively, not destructively where you're attacking people, blaming people, judging people, blah, blah, blah. That is what's happening right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you said it, you need to acknowledge that you're afraid in order to deal with being afraid, which brings us back to recognize like the first step of all of this, we have to own our stuff in order to do anything about it. And when we have people who are just doing everything, they're dancing as fast as they can <laughs> to avoid feeling their feelings and to avoid acknowledging it, it's like it's the government's fault, it's the this, it's the that, then there's, then of course they're going to engage in this combative, angry, you know, like defensive, offensive whole argument because they aren't in there, they aren't recognizing the way that fear is driving them. They're not acknowledging that. And I think that that has a lot to do with the whole the whole sort of relationship between are we experiencing this from an ex as an externalized thing that's happening to us that's being done to us that is all about what what that we're completely powerless over because it's all outside of ourselves or are we relating to this and engaging with this and experiencing this through the let through our own internal lens are we experiencing it through how do we feel about it and what's going on yeah what i think is crazy yeah. is you know people who are saying who are looking for someone to blame for covid and yeah. no one is really to blame right now it's not like you and i went into a lab and created this you know, and it's out there. It's just something that's out there now that we have to deal with. So how can we deal with it constructively? Because we haven't been dealing with it constructively. Right, right. Well, and, you know, interestingly, if you look back at histories of pandemics, this is absolutely not the first time that you get a bunch of people blaming other people for things. Back when we had the um, 1918 Spanish flu, you know, Spanish flu or influenza outbreak, apparently um, a whole bunch of people were blaming bare aspirin and saying that it was the Germans um, who basically sent tainted bare aspirin to America to cause the pandemic. And with the bubonic plague, there were there was a whole collection of people who were saying it was the Jews that were causing it. You know, truth right. is, it was mm -hmm. like, you know, pestilence and vermin and rats. But it's fascinating how the natural like human beings, when we're in a state of powerlessness and we feel helpless and we feel scared, 
if we're not empowered to soothe ourselves and calm ourselves down, we will look for the external source and we will create blame even where it doesn't belong. And I think I, I've been really thinking that with this whole situation, what's really sad to me is that it feels like there's kind of this false equation of if I'm blaming this external thing, then somehow all of the rules don't have to apply when the truth is this is an incredibly unfortunate sort of like confluence of events. It's like a perfect storm where we are in it and we are dealing with something that is absolutely devastating, is absolutely tragic, is absolutely, is, is, is truly difficult. And yeah, it's, it's really lousy for everybody, but especially lousy for, for certain people who like, in places where there's no hospital beds or no access to vaccines or, you know, just like no jobs. There's so many, there are people who have it, definitely have it worse. But I think the thing is, it's sort of like, sometimes you just have to accept that the bad thing has happened and grieve it and then move along. But if you look at, and when, the, when, when we were first, this whole thing was first starting, I was really doing a lot of musing about, um, the ways that our dysregulated fight or flight mechanism impacts our ability to process this, mm -hmm. that if we're, if we're already hijacked when we're going into fight or flight, then it's like, you know, like, I'm not going to wear a mask or I'm not going to get a vaccine, you know, that, 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 that response is coming from, from a dysregulated nervous system. But the other thing that I was really looking at and I find so fascinating is the stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross originally talked about and how you can see the ways that we are processing this event through the stages of grief. And, you know, the first one of, and the thing about stages of grief is that they are not successive. They, you know, they're not like in a nice tidy order. But the stages are, there's basically shock and denial. You know, there's like shock is the first stage. Denial and bargaining is, an, is another one, you know, where it's like, well, actually there's, you know, shock, denial, bargaining. And, you know, and bargaining can be like, oh, it was the, you know, it was the lab in some other country that created this. Like that even idea of like, if I can just find the answer for it, I can bargain my way out of it. Then after that bargaining comes anger, and then after the anger comes grief, like depression and sorrow, and then beyond that comes acceptance and the ability to allow it, like to just be like, yeah, this really, this is lousy and it's happening and I, all I can really do is accept that it is happening. And then there's a new addition to the sort of stages of grief that got added a little while ago, which is making meaning like finding meaning in it. So like, for example, mm -hmm. it seems like, you know, you and I, as we're talking about like the meaning behind COVID and what we are getting from it, this, you know, setting boundaries. Re I know for me, my life has gotten simpler. I really had the opportunity to simplify my life and really pare down things that I was doing probably more as a people pleaser than because it was really serving me. Mm -hmm. So, but if you look at this in terms of, of grief and the stages of grief, you can see so many people are in shock, denial, bargaining, and anger, and not in feeling sad. Because it's hard to grieve. And we live in a society that, again, that whole, I don't want to feel my feelings thing. We live in a world where people do not, there isn't really, there aren't really many models for how to grieve or how to process it. You know, I mean, a baby, we learn from the time we're infants that if we cry, somebody's gonna put a bottle in our mouth or check our diaper and, and make it all better. Yeah. And I mean, how often does somebody, is somebody going through a really hard time? And even those of us who are mindful and have done the work, how often is the first thing that we do to run in to try to rescue and soothe and be like, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. when really what they need is for somebody to just be present with them and go, this really sucks. I'm so sorry yeah. that you're going through this. I, I can't even imagine how hard this from is. From a young age, I've been unapologetic about my feelings. <laughs> yeah. And I remember grieving over my father's passing 30 years ago. 
it took me a long time. And there were family members telling me, get over it. Why are you still mm. sad? What is wrong with you? You know, and I was like, my father just died. What do you want me to say? I've been blown over. I'm devastated. I feel like I have a heavy blanket on me that I can't get out of. And I'm not going to pretend to be happy and okay to make you feel better. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And well, I and dealt with so it. I dealt with it in my own way. And I actually danced a lot. I think mm -hmm. I, that was my uh, therapy was dancing. So I would just go and I moved my body for hours. I sweated. I lost a ton of weight. That was great. And I was, I was like, I'm going to do things that make me feel good, that, that I'm going to focus on trying to keep going and, and do things that make me happy, even though I'm grieving so badly right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, there was two things that, that came to my mind with this is that one thought that I was having is I can't even begin to count the number of times that I have worked with grieving, people grieving, but especially people grieving the loss of their spouse, like widows and widowers, where they've told me all of these stories about how much pressure there is after a year to get over it and to move on. And I'm like, our, I mean, it's just obnoxious how many people and especially people who have never lost anybody or who have only lost sort of extraneous people like have not gone through a loss the assumptions people make about what grief is going to do to you it's just it's just incredibly unfortunate and one thing that I want to say that I've witnessed a lot of both personally and also with working with a lot of people who've been grieving is that one thing they don't tell you about is the exhaustion. That it's like, as you were saying, you felt like a heavy blanket was over you. It is, it is exhausting to be grieving. The other thing I was going to say, having lost my dad too, um, nothing prepares you for the loss of a parent. And what I believe is that, and part of the reason for that is that half of your DNA has just crossed over into the other side. And now you are the terminal point of that DNA. And there is something about half of your energetic equation, like half of your energy, half of your system, half your DNA being on the other side now. I have never had more sort of mystical and like visceral energetic experiences as I did around my father's death. It was really powerful. And I don't think, I mean, this is not something I've necessarily heard a lot of people talk about, but I do think that no matter what your relationship with your parents are, that biological genetic energetic connection is affected greatly when one of them dies. And so, you know, just saying it, it is definitely, I think, a lot more significant and powerful than a lot of people are, are able to acknowledge. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. Um, but I was very close to him. He was my soulmate. He accepted me and all my weirdness. I think he was aware that I was different and different from the rest of the family, maybe the planet, who knows, but, you know, and to lose that was devastating. Uh, there's not even a word. If there was a word worse than devastating, that would be it. Yeah. Oh. I love the so, word bereft. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, it's like, it just, it's sort of like that, you know, you're cast adrift and you're just floating on, you know, you're floating on a door in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the Arctic circle yeah. and just yeah. like, it, it, it is just, and I've, I, I have witnessed, I have witnessed what it is like for a, some of the people, some people that I, I've, I've had the privilege to hold space for, where particularly that kind of, you're, you've lost a soulmate and you've lost this incredibly dear companion, nothing prepares you for it. And yeah. your entire life is just turned upside down. 
And if you feel like you never really fit in and people don't get you and you don't feel accepted, but that one person that did from a childhood is gone now. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's I want to talk about something you mentioned about the trauma that's going on because of COVID. I mean, yeah, humans have gone through a lot you know, over history. I mean, just look at World War II or Mm -hmm. Vietnam where people were actually drafted, you know, into a war halfway across the world. What makes what's going on now different than the other challenges that we face, the other plagues, the Spanish flus? Okay, so what I think makes this different, there's a couple things. For one thing, it's cumulative loss. There's a term that I learned when I was in seminary about the idea of called compounded loss, that every single time we have a grief or a loss that we have not addressed in the past, every time something new comes on, that's added to the roster. The loss is compounded. We, and the other thing is that, that um, recently we have, you know, there's been studies that are discovering that we inherit the trauma, unreconciled trauma in our DNA. Mm-hmm. So all of the trauma that has been going on for the last thousands of years and, you know, all of the previous pandemics, all of the previous wars, all of the previous global, you know, like, like climate disasters, every single one of these things is basically still in our energetic system because it never got treated. It never got addressed. It never got reconciled. And so what I think is happening is that as a species, we are in the collective rain barrel effect where it's like the barrel has had one too many drops. And now like that spaghetti pot, it's boiling over or it's just bursting like that is exactly what's happening. Yeah. I'm reading about this now. I'm reading what happened to you by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. There's another book. There's another excellent book that I'm reading that your, the traumas passed down to you in your DNA. Yes. And then you could be feeling the fears of your grandparents and your great grandparents somehow you unconsciously absorbed it or inherited and you're feeling those feelings that they had yeah including and then on top of it your own and then anything that kind of remotely resembles it like where it may not be the details may not be the same but the feelings of betrayal or abandonment or confusion are the same and so all of the unreconciled stuff is surfacing and the other piece of it is that if you just look from a sort of strategic or logistic standpoint never before in the history of humanity has information been more accessible which kind of leads back to the social media thing we No other time in the history of humanity have we had the ability to know in a split second what is happening across the entire planet. It used to take weeks or months for us to learn about a tragedy. And by the time it had happened, it kind of had a chance to sort of ripple out. Mm -hmm. But now we are aware of things on a global level that is unprecedented. And we are getting constantly bombarded with tragedy, with, with, with just like, you know, and that's the other piece of it. It's like, you know, we were talking, you were talking about like World War II, the Vietnam War, the Spanish flu outbreak, the bubonic plague. All of these were like insulate, you know, isolated events where it was like, yeah, there's the war and the Holocaust and these horrible things, or there's a Spanish flu outbreak and it's a horrible thing. But in general, it was an it was one big thing. And right now we are dealing with multiple big things. We're dealing with a financial systems that are that are are on really shaky ground. And, you know, sort of like the whole sort of relation, you know, I don't know, like poverty, capitalism, all that is coming into question right now. Like, as I was saying, you know, it's like with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, you know, a powder keg blew up and we're looking at 200 plus years of racism in the United States. We're dealing with, you know, we've got, so we've got pandemic, we've got global 
we know we've got climate change, we've got wars, we've got social uh, social unrest, and then we've got the sort of culture wars going on between sort of the left and the right and the people kind of caught in the middle. Every one of these things is stressful. Every one of these things is traumatic and they're all happening simultaneously, which means that we are in, we're just, it's like, we're just getting bombarded left and right. It's a lot. So now I understand why I was talking about the boiling pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. So what can we do, especially as empaths, you know, we are feeling so much where we can pick up on so much. It's so easy to be overwhelmed. You know, I've, I've yeah. known I've been an empath for a long time. I used to call it highly sensitive person, HSP. And, yeah. you know, I, I've been practicing my empathic, you know, muscles for over 10 years now, at least. But what about someone who hasn't done anything or you know, where do they begin? So I think the place where we begin is by acknowledging that it's possible that some of what we're picking up on and some of what we're feeling is coming from something greater than ourselves. And what I really like to do as a very, and I will say that, you know, I've spent 30 years, you've spent 10 years, I've spent more than 30 years learning how to master this and how to deal with it. It's not like there's a one and done, on, you know, do this one little thing and everything's going to be fine. It is a process. And that is why I actually wrote Empathic Mastery because it is a process and there's a lot of things that we need to do to learn how to engage in a different way. But the very first step, the very, very, very first step for me is about coming back into my own body. I like to close my eyes and put my hand on my heart and breathe into my heart. And then just ask myself, is this mine? Is this mine? And just really feeling into that. And if the answer is yes, then the question is, and what is this about? Or where is this coming from? And then I like to use EFT, emotional freedom techniques, which if you're not familiar with it, is a form of, it's kind of like emotional acupuncture, but without the needles. And the beauty of it is that you don't have to have an acupuncturist to do it. You can actually do it yourself. But I like to use EFT once I've got a sense of what's going on because it will soothe the nervous system and basically reset the fight or flight mechanism, the mm -hmm. amygdala in our brain. But the first, for me, the first step is just stepping back into my body, sinking into my body and recognizing what's mine or asking what's mine, what's not mine. And then offering back the stuff that isn't mine, like being like, I don't need to carry this. Because I think that one of the things that is highly sensitive empathic people we need to do is really question the worldview or the perception or the belief that it is our responsibility to feel everything in order to heal everything. And there is a point at which we go from victim to volunteer where we double down on the feeling. And I know from my own experience and from talking with a lot of other people, it's a really subtle thing. And when you're used to just being immersed in all of the intensity, it can be really hard to recognize when you're wading in deeper. But what I have found is that there's this place between recognizing that there's distress and then sort of diving into it and feel and, and then and then sort of scratching at it, like engaging with it. So it's sort of like having mindfulness of the emotion and acknowledging it and having compassion for it, but sort of saying, thank you for sharing, as opposed to getting reactive to our own feelings and our own emotions. Yeah, I've been saying that. Yeah. I would say, I'm sure you've been saying it. I have go within, you know, when you, when you feel that water pot boiling, uh, one of my friends asked, what can I do? I said, self-care, self-care, self-care. And self-care, yeah. disengage and set boundaries. The other day, I um, I actually had recorded a podcast a couple of weeks ago that was about, you know, dealing with narcissistic friends and somebody had 
asked for some advice and they were dealing with a narcissistic friend who's who had been sending them like risque kind of like boudoir photographs and like hey what do you think of this picture you know and this person who was asking for advice was like I don't even know what to do and I'm like block them like don't <laughs> don't look at the picture like don't answer the text don't open the email don't engage and I think that that's the thing is like there are places where we have to make the choice to stop engaging mm -hmm. because as long as we engage we are going to keep on getting you know taking it on and part of that is about giving ourselves permission to not be the savior of the world. And for me, a big part of that has to do with being in right relation with the universe and recognizing that I am but a teeny, tiny, 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 tiny little part of the universe. And it is not my job to save the world. It is not my job to fix the world. It is not my job to rescue everything. I can do my little tiny part, but I am a vessel for a power substantially greater than myself. And what I personally always go back to is turning the, the, the burdens that are so much larger than anything I could possibly bear, turning that over to my higher power, turning it back over. For me, it's like my mom, like the blessed mother. I'm like, lady, please take this because mm -hmm. this is outside of my jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's a really like that having and and for people maybe who don't have i'm imagining most of your listeners are spiritually oriented and so they know what we're talking about but if anybody is sort of like i don't really have a higher power what's interesting is it's sort of like a long time ago the beauty of 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 the divine is that you don't have have to believe in a power greater than yourself for the power greater than yourself to believe in you and what I have found is that if we take that sort of suspension of disbelief and we take that leap of faith, that risk of like, maybe just try asking for help, maybe just try sort of like pretending, like acting as if there is a power that is greater than us, that we can hand the turn, hand the burden over to, that we can turn it over to, that um, in my experience, miracles happen even if we don't necessarily consciously believe, I believe that there is a part of us that absolutely knows that there is something so much bigger, so much vaster and so much greater than we as are as individuals. <sighs> There's so much more to talk about and we're I at an know. hour, but I would love for you to come back because I want to talk about narcissists and empaths. That's something that, you know, you see a lot happen. I want to talk about the sugar thing. Apparently there's something about sugar that's not good for empaths. And just also like the fatal flaws of the empathic entrepreneur. I'm kind of curious about that too. So I would love to have you back, Jennifer. Again. I would love to come back, Tina. It would be absolutely a delight. And I mean, all of those things, I will say that, you know, when you were asking about what can an empath do? Sugar is one of the first things. Sugar, like finding um, natural alternatives, but I'm not talking like honey and maple syrup, although that's a good place to start, but ultimately like eliminating sugar from your diet and looking at your relationship with carbohydrates in general. I mean, I could go into a long explanation about it and I do talk about it in the book, um, but what I will just say is that Sugar really amplifies our emotional sensitivity. It really amplifies our vulnerability and it really affects our mood. And when we are already really vulnerable and really sensitive and taking on too much already, it's kind of like just sort of turning the amplifier up to 11 and, you know, facing it, facing the microphone right into it. It just creates incredible feedback. And so letting go of sugar is something that I, nobody necessarily wants to hear that because I think many of us as highly sensitive empathic people actually really struggle with sugar. But my, what I can honestly tell you is that it is one of the physical things that you can do that will really, can really make a dramatic change in your life. Yeah, so I'm definitely gonna check that yeah. out in your book, Empathic Mastery. 
And yes. I wanted yes. to thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show and discussing all these pertinent issues that we're going through right now. And um, I will have all her contact information in the notes. And hopefully we can do another show where we can talk about these other topics. <laughs> I, Tina, I would absolutely love that. It would be just a delight to talk. It's been such a pleasure to yes. talk with you today. And in case anybody wants to find the book, you can head on over to empathicmasterybook.com to grab a copy of it, by the way. Yeah. Great. Thank so, you thank so much. Thank you so much for having me here today, Tina. It was You're such welcome. a pleasure. <laughs> Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.